Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City on a very strange Monday afternoon game. It's the Kansas City Royals 6, the Cleveland Guardians 4. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. and. I got to enjoy the the day game. Uh, I'm sure many of you were stuck at work, tracking it on your phone, doing what you had to do, uh, not expecting a Monday day game. But uh, luckily, I was doing projects around the house all day and uh, had the game on. That unfortunately means I was very locked in as Trevor Steffen absolutely implodes in the eighth inning and blows our 4-2 to lead. Uh, it is his... Oh, De Los Santos gets the blown save. That is just... Stefan gets the loss. It moves his record to 6-7 and seven on the season. Not that record really matters for a reliever, but De Los Santos actually gets the blown save. That, that doesn't feel right. I mean, all the runs get credited to Stefan, but De Los Santos ends up with the BS, the blown save, next to his name. Okay, uh, look, we're we're gonna we're we're going to talk about it. Don't worry. Uh, but I, I we might as well just let the emailers blow off steam here because uh, everybody everybody is talking about this. Um, Bob and Highland Heights said I've been a huge supporter of Francona in the front office management. After today, I'm done with Francona. Fully recognizing his, recognizing his years of contribution. In my opinion, winning is not his concern, rather testing players like Morgan and Stefan. Both have failed miserably. Staying with Stefan today when it was clear he was worthless is indefensible if winning today was a concern. I do not know why he was fired in Boston, but perhaps we are seeing why. Uh, Bob, honestly, I think he was fired in Boston because he lost the clubhouse. Like, the clubhouse got out of control. The players were... Uh, yeah, it, the clubhouse issues were more a problem than game management in Boston, but uh, it's not a never been a problem here. Uh, run pretty tight clubhouse here. Uh, different characters in the clubhouse. Uh, so uh, Bob in Highland Heights is frustrated with him. Uh, Jeff in Columbus said, "Davy, why didn't Tito go get Stefan earlier? I'm genuinely interested in whether you think." There was a strategy deployed there. He says, I can't wait for Marlon's note to you. Uh, Not sure this game deserves an MVP discussion. Uh, From Jeff and Columbus, he did have some positives there. Maybe we'll get to at the end. Uh, So uh, Marlon's reaction, wow, that what an implosion by Trevor Steffen. But more importantly, what a terrible job today by Tito for not taking him out. Why in the world wouldn't Tito have removed Steffen after he beaned Velasquez? Okay, now, if for some reason you don't know what happened in this game, we had a 4-2 lead, and Trevor Steffen ends up with three walks and a hit batter in the eighth inning. He does manage to get two outs, but he walks in a run, makes it a 4-3 game. Then De Los Santos comes in. He gives up a two-out double down the left field line of Drew Waters, which scores two runs. So they take the lead. Then a, a, a pass ball. Then a pass ball on Bo Naylor uh, lets another runner come in to score, making a six to four. So if for some reason you didn't know all that and you were listening to the podcast, this is why the emailers are so fired up tonight and why they're so upset. And clearly, a lot of them taking it out on Terry Francona. 
um, and Trevor Steffen. Uh, so yeah, so um, let's see uh, here. We also have uh, Tony, who's always short and sweet with his emails, just says, Trevor Steffen's day to blow it. Now, one of the reactions I saw on Guardian's Twitter, and just I was randomly scrolling through Twitter this afternoon, I came across this reaction where someone was like, and this is so freaking Twitter and social media, and it's I know it's terrible. We're going to get back to talking about baseball in a second, but just this reaction. Uh, someone was like, oh my God, this is the worst Guardian season I've ever seen in my life. What an embarrassing season, blah, blah. I'm like... Dude, this is this is just this is just an average team in an average season. Like you realize that, right? Look, look who we were playing today: the Kansas City Royals, who are forty-nine and hundred and two. That is a terrible season. What your the Guardians at seventy-two and seventy-nine? They're 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 an average team. They're an average team with surprisingly good young pitching. And, I mean, not surprising that they're good, but surprising that they're good this young. And, uh, uh, you know, an offense that gets very hot and cold, but for the most part has stayed cold all season. And they're just, they're an average team. Like, there's no needs, reason to fly off the handle. Like, your team will go through. I, let's put it this way. I, I'm glad that our lows are only this low, at least under the Terry Francona era, right? We're not the Royals at, you know, over 100 losses. And what, remember Houston had to go through like three seasons of 100 losses to rebuild their team. And what Baltimore had to endure with hundreds of losses. Like what the Tigers have been going through for the last few years, right? They thought they finally might have put something together this year. And they're still just an average team. They were able to get to the level of average. So, honestly, if you take this season as a whole, and we'll discuss this more in the offseason, the the fact that we're just average this year, like, okay, it happens. Like, it's not it's not fun. It's not how we wanted to end our summer. Um, and we got some enjoyable moments this summer. We got some things that we, you know, a lot of positives. A lot of positives that we can look at and look to the future and, and build around. So there is that, unlike say, a Detroit, which overpaid for free agents, doesn't really have the pitching pedigree that we have coming up in their ranks. And I, if I were a fan of Detroit or Kansas City, I don't know what I would be looking at as to, like, okay, this is the future path for my team. Even the White Sox, like, what do they do? Do they just unload as many players as they can and try to spend more money in the offseason, try again? At least... You know, Cleveland and Minnesota are the two teams in this division that for the last few years have had a pretty decent churn of, of minor league players come up and support them and, and go got the right guys that they needed to get in via trade. And Cleveland and Minnesota have, you know, not surprisingly, been the two teams kind of leading this division for the last few years. So it is Minnesota's turn. They're going to win the division. I know we haven't reached our elimination number yet, but Minnesota's going to win the division. And it's their turn. Uh, do I think Minnesota's probably going to get bounced in the first round of the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, they're not They're not going to have to face the Yankees this year, so who knows what could happen then. But, um, yeah, I again, there are a lot lower lows is my point. So, uh, 
I I don't know why Francona is doing this this year to Jeff and to Marlon. I don't I don't know why. I I I don't know why he leaves relievers in there too long. He doesn't use his bench properly. Yeah, it does feel like he kind of has has thrown in the towel a little bit on uh, the season on just the managing job in general. Like, uh, yeah, I, I the the margin, you know, the op, the chance that they're gonna make a playoff spot is almost non-existent at this point. But you know, we still watch the games. We still want to see them win, and that's why everybody's so frustrated today because it's a. 49 win Kansas City team. And you you gave them one. You handed one to them by walking three guys and hitting another one. All right. So let's get into some of the details of this game. Now, Stefan, yes, he was bad. It looked like maybe he was going to get things under control. He actually, after walking Isbell to start things on a competitive at bat. Isbell fouled off a bunch of pitches. He, he was struggling with his fastball. Uh, he was leaving it high and wide. Um, couldn't really hit the bottom of the zone with the splitter too well. So after a competitive seven pitch at bat where Isbell fouled off three pit, you know, t- three pitches, so he earned his walk. Uh, he gets Mar- Miguel Garcia to actually pop out. Uh, he gets Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, he's in the strike zone against him. Gets him to line out on a on a four seam fastball out over the plate. He's lucky there. He lines out to center field at ninety eight point two miles per hour. Then MJ Melendez again works a competitive at bat. This time he's actually in the strike zone for most of this at bat. Uh, he gets kind of hosed on the first splitter, which is right at the knees. Uh, doesn't get the call. Uh, but he throws a bunch of splitters to the knees, a bunch of high fastballs, and MJ Melendez follows off three pitches in the at-bat. So a very competitive eight-pitch at-bat. Finally, a splitter down below the knees. He doesn't chase, and he draws his walk. Okay, two guys on, two out. Then uh, Velasquez's is at-bat does look bad. He's kind of all over the place, can't find it with the splitter, can't get the fastball in the zone. Hits him with a slider uh, that clearly doesn't break uh that clearly gets away from him so yeah i after the walk to melendez and the hit batter i was wondering why isn't he going to get him because just listen to the broadcast you could hear it didn't look good in person it didn't look good live they were struggling uh you know Stefan was struggling out there so he leaves them in to face one more batter and he's nowhere close i mean just nowhere close uh Four of five fastballs are all up at the shoulders, all up above the strike zone. Uh, once he gets the 3-0, and he gets a fastball in there, but comes right back and overthrows one at the top of the strike zone. So he walks Massey on five pitches. He walks in the run, and then Francona goes out and gets him. It's it's always one move too late from Terry Francona this season, right? I just maybe if he goes and gets him before that run, you know, before he puts up a run, maybe, maybe De Los Santos can save it. It also doesn't help that De Los Santos is coming in to face Drew Waters. Now, Drew Waters is nothing special. Drew Waters is a 232 hitter this year with a 690 OPS. He is, he's nothing special in right field. At one time, we thought he was special when he was a top prospect in Atlanta's farm system. But we know a thing or two about top prospect position players that never quite reach their potential. 
Um, and he's found his, some playing time in Kansas City here, and he's like I said, a 232 with a 690 OPS. But when he plays Cleveland, and these numbers I don't believe have been updated with today's game because baseball reference usually doesn't get things updated that fast. Maybe they did. Um, he, uh, he has the most RBIs in his career, two seasons against the Cleveland guardians. He has the most home runs in his career against the Cleveland guardians, the most doubles in his career against the Cleveland guardians. Uh, yeah, so he's got an 872 OPS total against us. It's not his best against any team, but he's also played us way more than he's played anybody else. Um, 18 games against us. The next highest would be the Tigers and the White Sox. Not surprising, you know, division games. Uh, but still, the fact that he, he has hit more extra base hits against us than anybody else and has more RBIs against us than any other team he's ever faced, it's no surprising that he comes up here uh, fouls off a fastball away. Uh, De Los Santos goes fastball in and misses, comes back outside with a fastball. I don't know why he went all fastballs on him, but uh, leaves one out You know, on the outer edge of the plate, and Drew Waters shoots it in the left field, shoots it down the left field line, and it brings in those two runs to score, and now this thing is out of hand. The, uh, the pass ball to uh, Prado was bad. It was a fastball out and away, and uh, Bo Naylor kind of short arms it. He just, you have to, with runners on second and third, you have to protect better than that behind the play from Bo Naylor. So it's a little bit of a lackadaisical play there from him, but also kind of a pretty wide pitch from uh, De Los Santos. Uh, so they get another run that way. And it didn't matter because we don't, get anybody on in the ninth inning. They're able to shut us down and uh, take the 6-4 to four victory. So this whole thing in the eighth inning mars what was what should have been the Guardians game. The win probability line is just a big hump in our favor the entire game. Uh, we, we did everything right. Everything right to set Stefan up in the eighth inning and then Klasse up in the ninth inning for the save. Like we did everything everything right we hit our four run mark which we've discussed is the the line where the winning percentage flips in the guardians favor right that's our mark four runs we did it we had four to two lead it was nice and solid for our bullpen uh and apparently it wasn't and you know I, we're gonna have to do a deep dive on the bullpen after the season because despite i know you've had your issues with some some people in this bullpen uh, for the most part, it's still been a really competitive, good bullpen. And there's teams out there that would love to have our bullpen. And uh, it just seemed like people in our bullpen, for some reason, get hot and cold for like month-long stretches. Where for like a month, Sam Hedges has like a double-digit ERA, and now suddenly he's unhittable again. Uh, and, and now apparently it's Trevor Steffen's turn to absolutely just fall apart and lose it. And you know, our pitching staff is so good with the starters and, and managing the starters. I don't know how hard it is to manage relief pitchers, uh, what kind of head cases you're dealing with out there in the bullpen. But they do seem to fall apart for weirdly long stretches uh, at a time uh, in this Guardians bullpen, where other guys are, are, are bouncing back and finding their grooves. So, uh, it you know we're gonna have to take a look at some of these things in the off season and see 
did we hate our bullpen or did we not? Like, should we appreciate our bullpen or should we be frustrated and want changes in our bullpen? That's feels like an off-season conversation, but this these Trevor Steffen meltdowns, you know, these Kase blown saves, uh, you know, Henches and Eli Morgan and all these guys, all these converted starters who are now in our bullpen. Like we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about it in detail. All right, so there were other things that happened in this game. Yes, the offense did play very well, uh, led by Andres Jimenez, who had a pretty strong game. Three for four on the day. Uh, does get a run scored. Uh, Gabriel Arias behind him has two RBIs. One comes via the solo home run in the fourth inning, which was a nice response to Kansas City getting on the board in the bottom of the third that we're able to come back and answer with one in the top of the fourth. It was a strange home run. It looked like it was a low fastball maybe, and he hits it at 105.9 miles per hour, only a 22-degree launch angle. But 394 would have been a home run in 30 out of 30 ballparks, even with that really low launch angle. I mean, his ability to go to the opposite field, and frankly, Bo Naylor's ability to go opposite field for the lefty, right? He hits a double uh, in the left field that scores a run in the second inning. Um, so both of those guys, their ability to go to the opposite field is very encouraging for their maturity as hitters. Like, sure, there is a ton for them to work on, especially Gabriel Arias chasing those high fastballs. But do you realize if Gabriel Arias actually can start to recognize those high fastballs and lay off those high fastballs and force those pitchers to bring those things back down into the strike zone, how much damage he can do and how hard he can hit the ball. There is absolutely a good hitter there in Gabriel Arias. In fact, one of our emailers, um, Marlon, Marlon said, uh, my eye is on Arias in particular. While I love watching him play D and showing off his cannon of an arm, I'm hoping he puts it together with his offense. I hope he's able to take the reins at shortstop and is the shortstop for the next Decade. So Marlin is, you know, pushing all his chips in on Gabriel Arias uh, as the shortstop, or, or at least that's that's the bet he's making there. Um, you know, I know some of you are, some of you are Brian Rocchio fans. Some of you might even be Jose Dana fans out there. Some of you might want to see Jimenez move back to his natural position as shortstop and let Tyler Freeman play second base. So there's there's plenty of combinations for how this could go down. Uh, but I, I do agree. Like when, when Arias has games like this, uh, it makes you very interested to see what a full season of this is going to be like and, and what he can work on in the off season, uh, to improve that strikeout rate. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, the strikeouts aren't even the problem. It's just the chasing those high pitches up above the strike zone, right? That's, that's the, the chase rate is more the problem than the strikeout rate. There's plenty of good hitters that strike out a ton. But, uh, you know, don't do the pitcher any favors. You, you you will get more of these home runs if you force them to bring those pitches down into the strike zone. Uh, let's see, what pitch did he hit for a home run? Why not? Let's go take a look at this here. Off of Brady Singer, he got, it was a two-seam sinker. So it was Brady Singer's fastball. Uh, just at the, right above the knees, at the thighs, uh, middle down, uh, and he really drove that thing. So uh, it was a nice response right there from uh, Arias. The bottom of the lineup, frankly, was doing all the work on this one. Um, 
Yeah, uh, lots of hits, lots of runs being scored from the bottom of the lineup. Three of the four runs come from your, well, all, all four runs come from your four, five, six, and seven there. So right there in the middle of the lineup with the bottom of the lineup getting the RBIs. Bo Naylor gets the RBI in that second inning with his double over the left fielder's head. Uh, the ball was really carrying weirdly out to left field. It must have really been blown out there to left field. Even Quan gets fooled on one. Uh, drifting back, uh, that that I mean, he completely misreads. It looks like he's kind of jogging at it, and then it's over his head. So it must have been carrying out there. But Naylor gets the RBI, and then Miles Straw manages to get a sack fly RBI. So uh, that you know, offensively, uh, it's nice to see with the bottom of the order. I'm always encouraged when the bottom of the order is finding ways to contribute. Now it's nice to see when the whole lineup's contributing, but. Uh, it's always nice to see the bottom of the lineup uh, get in there and provide uh, some RBIs, some runs scored for this team. Uh, the last thing we got to talk about, Cal Quantrill with the start, and it's another almost quality start. He only lasts five and two-thirds, doesn't make it the full six, but gives up five hits, two earned runs, no walks, three strikeouts. He does give up a, uh, a home run himself, a solo home run, an absolute monster shot. I, I was I wasn't looking at the screen when it happened. Velasquez in the sixth inning. Would it be the shot that knocks him out of the game there in the sixth? Uh, but a hundred and seven point five mile per hour exit velocity, thirty four degree launching, a four hundred and twenty five feet. So a big blast right there from uh, Nelson Vasquez. Was it the hardest hit ball of the day? No, Ooh, Mikhail Garcia hit one just slightly harder. Um, it was the furthest one hit of the day. That is for sure. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the blemish on Cal Quantrill's day. He was hard hit. This is, this is crazy. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 times on 96 pitches. But still only manages to give up five hits and two runs. So his pitching to contact thing, uh, it, it works okay on this day. Uh, the hard hit ball, despite everything being so hard hit, he actually survives uh, for the most part. Now, what's really special and what is, I can't believe it's taking me this long into the podcast to get to it, uh, his pitch use. Mr. Sinker Cutter over here suddenly decides that he needs to go just all in on the splitter and the curve. He throws 47 splitters. 49% of his pitches were splitters, 47 times, 25 curveballs, 14 two-seam sinkers, eight cutters, a changeup, and a four-seam fastball. I mean, I am, I am shocked, shocked. I, now, again, and he never is going to have a super high whiff rate. It's only a 23% whiff rate, 10 whiffs on 44 swings. Uh, 18 called strikes, it's a 29% CSW, so it's not like... Any of those pitches were super ultra effective. The splitter did have a 25% whiff rate itself, uh, but they did hit it pretty hard. A 93.6 mile per hour average exit velocity, so close to averaging a hard hit ball. But uh, he was the leader in swing and miss on the day uh, for any pitcher. In fact, uh, let's see here. Uh, He had almost, I think, as many swing and miss as the entire Kansas City Royals pitching staff combined. Singer had five. Uh, Tucker Davidson only had one. Uh, Kowar had 
three and MacArthur had two. So 11 to 10 on swings and misses there. So uh, it's not a terrible day by Cal Quantrill. He's still an enigma to me. I still, I, I love his competitiveness. I love, I, I, I don't know, the way he approaches pitching. I just, I wish the results were a little different for Cal Quantrill. Like the, the actual numbers, uh, when you look at this game, uh, don't paint a picture of a, of a, don't paint a picture of a pitcher who was dominating, but I think anyone to the eyeball test who was watching this game thought Cal Quantrill was pretty in control of this game. Well, I am just tongue twisters everywhere here. Quantrill in control. Um, Cal Quantrill in control. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, I think we could say good job, Cal Quantrill, but uh, you, you probably want to limit some of those hard hit balls. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't think you had to go all in like that on the uh, splitters. Was it a count thing? Let's go to his count breakdown and see when he was throwing them. Uh, jumping back over to the illustrator here. Yeah, anytime he was ahead, man. Is is so first pitch? You kind of got a little bit of everything. Actually, the thing he threw the most on the first pitch was the curveball. But as soon as he got ahead, it was over 50% splitters. Uh, one and two count, you were looking at 85% splitters. Two and two count, you're getting a splitter. So, yeah, wow. Uh, as soon as he got ahead in the count, that's what he was going to. If he did fall behind, which it didn't happen often, it only happened to two batters, uh, it was cutter or sinker if he was behind in the count. Um, wow, fascinating stuff. Right there from uh, from Cal Quantrill on this one. Uh, maybe because it's the season's coming to an end, and you know they're not fighting for playoff position and stuff like that. Is he trying stuff out for next season? Like was this whole game an experiment for Cal Quantrill for next season to see how much he liked using that splitter in certain situations or the curve? I just I'm shocked. I'm blown away for a guy. I mean, at the beginning of the season. What was it? It was like 85, 90% of the game was sinker cutter. And now he's it's his third and fourth most used pitch on the day. So, yeah, he must have been trying something there today. So, uh, all right, that's all my thoughts on this one. I think I covered most of your emails. Uh, Jeff, Jeff uh, from Columbus, his positives were Cal pitched well. Arias hit a home run, Bo doubled, several are hard hit balls, lots of steals. They did. They, they were off and running. Um, Jose, Bo Naylor, and Straw all have stolen bases. Oh, and Jimenez all have stolen bases on the day. Uh, Lopez continues to impress. Yes, he did. Uh, Lopez only faced one batter to uh, finish off the seventh inning. Now, it Kind of makes you wish they would have left Lopez in, doesn't it? I would probably win the game if they leave Lopez in to pitch the eighth. But it's usually Stefan's inning, so I, I Francona is a creature of habit there. Um, so, yeah, Lopez uh, blew away his only batter uh, and struck him out. So, all right. Uh, I am going to give out an MVP on the day. Uh, I'm going to give it to... I mean, I really like the three-hit performance from Andres Jimenez. I uh, gotta say, that's encouraging to see there. Uh, three hard-hit balls on the day from him. Uh, he he doesn't drive anybody in because there was nobody there to drive in, but uh, he's able to come around and score once. So yeah, uh, for for giving us what he had, you know, what he had offensively, 
let's give Andres Jimenez MVP on the day. All right, that's all my thoughts. Uh, thank you for your emails. Uh, it's It was funny to see. I mean, it's not funny that we blew this game. And it's not funny what happened to Stefan in the eighth inning. But it is funny to see that the emailers were in... They were in sync, man. They were they were feeling the same vibe that we kind of gave this game away, and uh, Stefan and Francona uh, didn't give us their best best effort in this one. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Uh, hopefully, uh, look, we only got a few more of these left, so let's just enjoy them. Hopefully, they give us something to enjoy. They give us something to talk about. Arias and Bo Naylor continue to develop. And uh, hopefully a few more wins before this season ends. All right. The final yesterday, it was the uh, Royal Six, the Guards Four. You can follow me on Twitter at David Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. If you've never emailed in before, you got a few games left to get it in there and join the conversation. Let me know your thoughts. We'll discuss them on the show. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. 